You may be seated. So today's lesson text comes simply from John, the Gospel of John, the third chapter, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray through the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, we may bring honor and glory to you. Amen. So half the gospel is still unquestioned. The bare-bone outline of sin, redemption at a cost, and a resulting paradise. And notice I said redemption at a cost. That's going to be really important today. And I would even contend that this is true in secular circles. Now that second half of the gospel, the Christian part, like what it actually is meant by sin and faith and the like, those are rejected. But there is a rush today to try and build that second half of a new gospel in a new way. And in its most extreme forms, this quest created many of the conflicts we witnessed in the last century. To atone for the original sin of capitalism, the people had to be redeemed through the cost of a violent revolution, and they did so in the hope of establishing a Soviet utopia. And across the Rhine, over in Germany, it was very much the same. Now, President Eisenhower, who contended with both, warned our nation, though, that just the violent examples of this, there's a lot more going on. He warned that there would always be these new half-gospels operating when he said in his famous farewell address, there's a recurring temptation to feel some spectacular and costly could become the miraculous solution to all of our current difficulties. Now, I can give an example of this from my own life. Those of you who may not know me should know that I was once a social media manager on the interwebs. And teenagers, they sign into services like YouTube where they are presented videos made by adults that use this stripped-down half-gospel outline. There's always some form of original sin, be it loneliness, awkwardness, boredom, whatever you want, fill it in. And these elements are taken by the ideologues to make a one-angle solution for all life's problems. And it's not just impressionable youth that this is happening to anymore. Adults have become bombarded by such messages. Now on the internet, it just seems every talking head is in one way or another speaking about redeeming the world. Now peddlers say, choose this alignment, take this ideology, give me cash, buy this car. And remember, all these half-gospels I said it would be important, for all these redemptions, they come at a cost. Now in marketing, which I was doing, that's what a copywriter is told exactly to do. Find or create a sense of inadequacy and offer to fill it if they pay. But this goes down into the human spirit a lot more than just commerce. Many of us, sadly it's true, I even catch myself doing it, think people are good people because of what they think or because of what they drive. You don't want to be the Ford guy in a Chevy garage. 
Now, in the very best outcome, all that happens with what's going on on the interwebs is a consumer is parted with some money and left with a product. And that product ultimately will not satisfy the human heart any more than any other stuff can. I do so very hope that we can at least agree that ultimately possessions do not give us a sense of purpose. But it's much harder to convince the notion that bare ideology in the same way, for all that it is, will not save your souls. And for me that's, that's troubling because I look up today and I see narratives, I see self-definitions, I see brave new solutions, ideologies, being sold. And in our culture, and in our churches especially, people are spending more in way of life, of energy, of capital, towards buying utopia than they are on what truly is beneficial. In every little town it's happening too. There are those to establish new gospels, or their political views are doing it at the cost of families. They're discarding those with whom they do not agree, and they are even in time surrendering personal rights hard won. Now maybe you feel like a little too harsh on that, but maybe, maybe you're right, maybe all they are forfeiting is the right to think for yourself. Now at the same time, I'm not as hard on all this as I sound. I do sense indeed in our culture that there's a longing for redemption, that's why these half-gospel narratives get used. People are searching for purpose, and they're trying to fill it. In fact, that's why it's this outline. Promised paradise, paid for by a great redeemer, and, to, and will remove from humanity the great fault in its fortunes. I feel that makes my point, that I want to get first, that it's politics, that it's salesmen, that are getting religious these days. They're preaching into the church, not the other way around. Now that's the big pie in the sky thing, but what I think everyone really, really cares about is how this applies to yourself. This very outline, which is very divine, sin, redemption, paradise, when we strip it of the content, it's such a popular thing in our culture that it actually tends to be the way Satan keeps people in bondage. Don't believe me? Let's snipe one of the socially unacceptable forms. The man who finds sobriety too oppressive, he turns to a substance to escape, and he does find there a temporary paradise. And we all know the cost of that paradise is evident. I mean, even those in our society who want nothing to do with anyone else use this outline. An anti-social lady who gladly pays the cost of a social life to be relieved of the burden of the social life will find often that she doesn't even like work herself and that's the only person she now has to live with. And I'll catch you on the flip side. You ever been around a health apostle, something positive? It's the same outline, except now the cost is eating health food and paying for organic produce. So I'll just summarize myself so far. There's a tendency to introduce a hack-down gospel. 
the narrative of sin, redemption, paradise, without the Christian content into it, in our culture. And I think the fact that that's what's going out shows there's a spiritual issue indeed. Because the question is, what is the real gospel that fills this outline that everyone is using? I feel today's passage, ultimately, really could have just been a restatement of the first commandment. Those of you who don't frequent church too much, that is, worship the Lord God alone. And contrary to our suspicions, God didn't give that commandment because he's mean, or because he has a big old ego. God established the first commandment as he does everything in love, and in a loving knowledge that humanity being created to relate to the divine, to use this very outline of sin, redemption, and eternal life to relate to God, if it did not, if humanity did not place God himself in the spot of Redeemer, some interloper would come in and fill it. And that interloper, what they will do, is they will gladly extract a cost of profit from that offered redemption. Although they leave that offered redemption undone. Now the reason I go to the first commandment is in the Old Testament, the idols are the archetype of this. They gladly took sacrifices of time, of treasure, of even lives, in the worst cases. But all they ever gave the people were wood chips. I'm not sure when I look out and see some of the conflicts that are going on in our culture, things are very different. We are spending a lot of treasure, of time, and even setting aside children and their welfare to serve idols that ultimately are just empty wood. Now still, I'll grant you that I'm not here to say many of life's problems are not problems. My point is far more that whatever way we desire to redeem life's problems, to redeem the time, that is something that surely does matter. Frankly put, spending all of our effort learning a rain dance ignores the cost of not building a well or a reservoir. Sunk cost has consequences. Now I, as a pastor, feel it has eternal consequences for the souls, but if you do not worry yourself about such, at least see with me how easily a violent ideology can take its pound of flesh, or how a desire to be sexually libertine can break up homes when adultery is given into. And just think how many of us, and I have been fielding the prayer request, have found these apostles of empty gospels bragging on Twitter about cutting off friends and family and being rude little brats to each other. And what do they do that for? To satisfy how others perceive their virtue, but not to establish virtue out into the world. In Old Testament talk, so much of what's going on would be nothing more than an Israelite walking up to saying, well, I gave Beelzebub an expensive bowl. I made a good offering to Paul today. 
These divisions, yes, they show plenty of piety. As Paul said in Athens, this culture is very religious. Now you may think it's odd I'm pressing on this on an open house Sunday, but I do so because my hope is if I can convict you a bit that this half-gospel outline is being used and just show a few ways about it, how it's at work in our lives and in our culture, that if you fail to find contentment with such, that if you find in whatever half-gospel you are living, that the redemption it offers is not being done, my friends, that does not doom you to again go find and fill it with another half-gospel. If one half-gospel does not satisfy, you are not required to go over and find another, because the way remains open to us as in today's passage to grasp the entire gospel. Because see, my thing is, you may have the outline right of sin, redemption, eternal life, paradise, it's those details, though, that are killing. See, John 3.16 shows that God's redemption is something unique. First, God's love is shown different by virtue of the fact that, well, all the worldly ways, the ideologies, the products, the stuff, however you spin it, they always take their cost from us. There's a mercantile, you pay me. Everything that offers redemption in this world here below wants its pound of flesh. Yet Christ in his redemption, in his person, extracts the cost of redemption by provision of himself. He pays it. He pays the cost of your sin and does so in his own person. Now second, the redemption offered in Christ being an act of God is all-inclusive. Jesus challenges the challenges evil in its entirety. Hatred, lust, greed, etc., etc. Where all the systems we seem to create, they don't seem to have very big goals. They only go after one thing or another. Maybe handle one, maybe two, but the rest are left. In fact, I've often said to people who try to pull me into politics in these little half-gospels, take your pet issue, whatever it is, in society right now, solve it. I can think of a hundred new things that'll mess it up. There is always a Helen in your Troy. There's always a Trojan horse that pops up under the bushes. In fact, just time will undo whatever social progress we make as it does everything else. And then, yes, the redemption offered in Jesus gets to the part that I know everyone's going to roll their eyes at. The gospel is indeed a call to repentance, changing our mind, to changing how we think. And that's why I've kept that redemption comes at a cost. Because even in our half-gospels, where we make them from whatever we want or whatever energizes us, they cost us. Now those half-gospels, even as they become increasingly expensive, are half. And half of it is the cost. So what does Jesus' gospel cost? Well, Jesus, in the full gospel, pays for our redemption and banishes the idea anything else will pay for. God, in his justice, 
in satisfying what Sid owes will never double bill. The truth is, these mini-redeemers, these half-gospels, what they are doing once Christ has paid it all, what they are doing is nothing more than fake debt collection companies trying to double bill you. So what I want for you today is to be free of that. To say, pay and hang it up. To see Annie, who says, you must atone, you must do penance, and only then will you be saved. Well, the cross and Christ's own blood sounds a resounding no. Still, accepting Christ as Redeemer in a total matter is something that can only be grasped by faith, and even then, only with help of the Spirit renewing. Sadly, such is the natural state of these half-gospels that they die hard. I assume I speak mostly to the converted today. It's back to church Sunday. But many of us, I'm afraid, live in a half, in a half-gospel kind of conversion. We live kind of like a half-reformed criminal. Now a criminal may stop living off of their Redeemer, as we're using the word today, of theft. They stop doing the bad things. But it's still really comforting having that big pile of stolen treasure out in the shed. That's why Jesus had to say to one, if you would follow me, give up all you have. Now, Pastor Paul, that hardly seems cheap. I thought Jesus paid it all. How am I going to get rid of my treasure here? Well, Jesus did pay redemption in full. But it's only reckoned to the saints when they abandon any hope of trying to repay by any other means. Say, I bought you a house. I'm a very generous guy. It can't be yours, though, till you take and register the deed. And if you insist that you are going to pay me the price of that house before you take the deed off of me, it's your refusing my generosity that is going to cost you. You could have it right now, but the fact you insist on paying prevents it. So I'll end on the third part of this gospel structure shortly, because I just feel it needs to get mentioned. That third part of paradise. One of the reasons these half-gospels go around is many of us imagine some form of Elysium to be had in this life, and we love the half-gospels because they promise exactly that. If only I had. If only I was. If only I could. It almost seems like a truism to say that kind of thinking doesn't work. But at the same time, many of us scoff at the full gospel because that offer of eternal life, that seems, that seems like something we are scared to grasp. Yet I, I find our suspicion to accept the promises in Christ seems to go away when we take up that which we know better than. We don't seem to be afraid when we take up an idolatry, an ideology, when we pick up drugs, or whatever high it may be, though we know it's fleeting, and even though we may know it may in fact give us a hangover. 
I challenge you here. The half-gospel is unsure of what it can achieve ultimately. It is summed up in that saying, if only. If only we didn't hate each other. If only everyone would love. If only I were better. If only I were handsome. But the full gospel is known to be a different animal as it is achieved. For its words in the end are, it is finished. I don't know why many of us hold on to what we know to be counterfeit. We let these things play God in our lives, and we may even sense a deep dissatisfaction with plenty of these things I've spoken about. Many Christians are content to live if-only lives. What I want for you, though, is to show you there's a deeper reality. The reality that these fake counterfeit things are ripping off. Today's passage is so vital because it does tell us that faith is the bar we must get beyond. We must get to that point of knowing it is finished. And I would have you flee from these half gospels, which I fear do you harm instead of good, to the complete one, which will make you whole. Now, I'm not saying you don't have half the gospel. One or two, you might not. But what I am saying is, is that having half the gospel is normally exactly your problem. And the fact that you and many others have been striving with that half does show that there's a better way. It shows that even in the frustrations you may be facing, God is preparing and your hearts and my hearts, the full solution, the full gospel, if you will but take it. God's power is in all. It is being made perfect in our weakness. No matter the bends in the road, the narrow path leads home. But it will always turn on the same question. Do we have what it takes to believe the true full gospel? Or do we trouble ourselves and society abroad by making more of these wooden redeemers, which we are, must admit at the end of the day are nothing but halflings? So here again the words of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Let us grant.